Hello and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, a holistic visions for planet Earth. My name is Julian Buderlei, and in today's episode, I am interviewing Sophia Rocklin. Sophia is an author and non-profit organizer from New York City. She holds a BA in Anthropology and Religious Studies from the New School in Ecological Economics and from the Institute of Environmental Science and Technology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. She's a program coordinator at the Chaikuni Institute and directs the Sustainable Ayahuasca Cultivation Program at the Temple of the Way of Light, a traditional plant medicine retreat center in the Peruvian Amazon. She's the co-author of When Plants Dream, Ayahuasca, Amazonian Shamanism, and the Global Psychedelic Renaissance on the global spread of ayahuasca. And that's what we get to talk about today. She's also an advisor on the Ayahuasca Community Committee at the Chakruna Institute of Psychedelic Plant Medicines that is currently based in Peru. And Sophia, you're also starting a complete new organization in the field of regenerative agriculture. So with that little intro, welcome to the show, Sophia. Glad Thank to have you. Thanks. Absolutely. Like, let's maybe start with what's most alive for you. You just mentioned that when we when we chatted um, that you're starting a new organization on regenerative agriculture in the Amazon. And sure. Yeah. Great. Thanks for asking. Um, so, I, I guess it deserves a little bit of, of a backstory. Um, and in When Plants Dream, I write about it. When Plants Dream is a book I just co-authored with Daniel Pinchbeck, and we write about um, sort of the different cultural dimensions of the global spread of ayahuasca. Um, and we don't necessarily, you know, there is no one singular story of the spread of the psychoactive sacrament, but we cover more of the legal dimensions, the, uh, the, the, the botanical aspects, the sort of the anthropological perspectives, um, some of the debates around the commodification and the globalization of these plants. Um, and, you know, my, my interest in this subject really stemmed from, from a personal journey um, and a pursuit to kind of be connected to a broader community. Um, I, I, I was born and raised in New York City and super, you know, secular society, uh, only child to immigrant parents. And I was always searching for meaning, community ritual. Um, and I didn't really find it anywhere until I encountered uh, plant medicines and specifically plant medicines within sort of indigenous uh, contexts. Um, and with that, that kind of led me down this road to exploring ayahuasca and ayahuasca healing. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, long story short, basically, I, I, I started to realize, you know, that the communities that I've worked with are all um, devastated, more or less, really, by the, by the presence of multinational corporations, um, petroleum extraction, mm. uh, agricultural expansion, um, you name it. And, and today we see these, you know, devastating isn't even the right word, almost paralyzing fires in the Amazon. Um, yeah. And understanding, you know, that, 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 these, that these communities that have spent, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years developing a relationship to, the, to their land and, and the plants um, are kind of, you know, in imminent danger of, in some cases, what feels pretty dramatically like genocide in, in Brazil, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with that, I kind of, I, I started to look around at the, 
the transformational community. Um, and, and this is everybody, you know, people who are sitting in Tony Robbins audiences to yoga, to psychedelic research and science. Um, and I noticed that there's sort of a cultural yearning to actually have our personal transformation be connected to some sort of an earth transformation, right? Real reforestation and remediation programs. Um, and, you know, with that, with um, my, my allies from the Temple of the Way of Light and the Chaikuni Institute, uh, we're starting a new nonprofit called Aini. Um, and Aini is really just about that. Um, Aini is a Quechua word, it means reciprocity and interconnectedness. Mm. And the, the idea behind it really is that, you know, our personal transformation is the prerequisite to creating sustainable and if not regenerative sort of environmental change. And we need a shift of perspective uh, that's fundamental really before we can actually create new, new systems that, that will sustain life on earth. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting and very beautifully put. And then maybe they won't even be systems at that point anymore, but, right. <laughs> but par part of a larger spiral. But, but basically, Aini, the word reciprocity, like that makes me really curious because it's, it's a word we hear, I guess, a lot in, in the Western culture, but I don't feel like we're actually doing the best job embodying it. And um, even if I look at my own life, I mean, most of my interactions are still somewhat connected to a transaction, right? Um, which kind of bases it in the old system, like no matter, no matter how you, you go about it. So tell me a little bit more how the indigenous cultures and your research and your work with indigenous cultures, um, maybe specifically in Peru, how, how that word Aini and reciprocity, how, what kind of importance it carries for them? Well, so Aini, Aini is a Quechua word, um, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a word that actually it's like ayahuasca, interestingly, which is also a Quechua word. Um, and, and the Quechua are some of the communities who, have, who are there. Quechua is the third most spoken language in South America after Spanish and Portuguese. So it's one of the most sort of prosperous indigenous cultures there, um, you know, amidst a culture of not much indigenous prosperity. So, um, you know, they've, the, the idea that everything is interconnected really, and reciprocity isn't necessarily the most elegant translation of it, but, you know, for us that has a certain meaning. But the idea is that, you know, everything that I do is connected somehow to something else. And all beings are a part of an interconnected network of uh, relationship through, you know, forces visible and invisible. Um, and, and, and that's really the guiding principle, you know, understanding that we can work for others, we can communicate with others, and we can collaborate with others with, you know, the ultimate knowledge that we may not receive that immediately in a sort of a transactional sense but in, a, in an almost energetic sense and just understanding that through the through the through the act of giving and through the act of putting you know generosity outwards we, we will receive that in one form or another yeah yeah very beautiful I, I like that you mentioned that the translation might be in itself already a little limited and that, yeah. that's often the case, I feel, with, with indigenous languages. And I don't know Quechua too, too well, but I've spent some time with the, the Guarani in, in and around Paraguay. So yeah. um, a lot of those words don't, don't really translate yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and especially studying ayahuasca. I mean, I've, I've been very interested in looking at the different words that people use to describe ayahuasca and the sort of the, the 
anthropomorphization or calling ayahuasca she, you know, a, a feminine entity, when in reality there are no indigenous communities that I know that that actually describe ayahuasca as a feminine entity. So just understanding how, you know, the, the desires that we in the West feel are sort of superimposed onto these sort of indigenous cosmovisions to satisfy some sort of a narrative that we need to emerge for our own orientation. Mm. So in, in the book, When Plants Dream, um, you and Daniel Pinchbeck wrote about the spread of ayahuasca, right? And like the way it's turned from probably 20 years ago, you could hardly publicly talk about it to a global phenomenon at this point. Maybe just elaborate a little bit more about the book and the kind of your journey with the book. Yeah, um, I, I've come to think of my journey writing the book a lot like an ayahuasca ceremony itself. Like for those of you who are not familiar with the physiological symptoms, it involves nausea, sweating, dizziness, <laughs> um, you know, and just, it was, it, was, it was a hard journey to write that book. Yeah, it was really, you know, I, I, there were lots of, more than anything, I think, I think doubts about who has the right to say something in this, you know, and being really, really conscious that, that, that to, to not act as an authority on a subject, but rather as somebody who's witnessing something from their own perspective and to share that perspective in a way that feels grounded and doesn't sort of tend to perpetuate any sort of like neo-colonial anthropologist's perspectives on things. So, I mean, those were sort of like the main issues that I grappled with, with writing the book. But ultimately what I think um, is offered is a, is a really interesting perspective where we sort of balance out, you know, he said, she said, they think, they think, and kind of looking at all of the different facets of this, of this phenomenon. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think another challenge of writing this book was, you know, there's so much research um, that's constantly emerging in the scientific fields and the medical fields, um, but even in like the archaeological, uh, you know, realms where we're constantly getting new information. Um, and, and that's just within our Western framework of validating and creating knowledge, right? But, you know, for mm -hmm. Communities, they have an entirely way of, of seeing things and each community has their own cosmovision and, and approach to ayahuasca and plant medicine and spirits and you know the significance of um, uh, outsiders or foreigners coming and sort of getting to know um, getting to know the plants so you know and I think another thing the, the reason why Daniel and I seem to have a sort of natural alliance writing this was because we both believe that um, psychedelics sort of uh, provide a and a new they, they kind of clean our perspective and help us to see things from a new angle and that's the angle that we'll need in order to advance as a culture um, into a more sort of compassionate and collaborative framework especially ecologically speaking yeah and i was totally lost i had no idea what i was going to do with my life and i was just ready to sit in waiting rooms until i died you know to get some external validation hmm. um and then you know i i found plant medicine plant medicine found me we encountered each other and i finally found meaning in my life you know and it wasn't necessarily meaning like this is the meaning it doesn't have the meaning doesn't have a point the meaning is just a vibration it's like you are a gardener in this planet and and, and we're just we're just gardeners here yeah i so like that the meaning has a vibration i mean this is a vibrational reality vibrational universe right so uh, anyone who's ever experienced those states um, through plant medicines or extended breath work or 
uh, long time meditation, if, if that's um, someone's way, I think feels that resonance, right? And, and meaning, I like how you put that when, and I myself have, have been in those waiting rooms at some point in my life, you know, where, where you're in some kind of a meaningless experience. And it's, it's almost, for me, I remember, it's almost like until I realized that there is so much more profound meaning in that we are the gardeners of this earth, we are the stewards of this planet. So we, we, we kind of do come from the future to steward in a new kind of way of living with each other, right? Once that essence is felt in one's life, it's a, like apparent, so apparent that before there was just nothing. We just, we just were busy for doing something to chase something, to create some kind of metric and system and linearity that tries to predict tomorrow, that tries to create a, a stable income for a person, a country, a, a nation, whatever. And it's kind of a contrary experience to life so that that resonance of richness is, is missing. I love how you said that. Yeah, and it's lonely too, you know, I mean, it's very, it's very before, I mean, there's, it's, it's part and parcel, you know, to the psychedelic experience that there, that people feel interconnectedness, people feel this, this famous ego, infamous ego dissolution in the sense of like, oh, I, you know, my identity isn't me necessarily, but I suddenly realized that I'm just a, I'm a, Com compilation of millions of different organisms and species just kind of holding it together in this little meat you know robot and um and, and and yeah i mean that's that's really like for for many many people that i've interviewed and i and i've met and i work with you know it was it was that that ego dissolution that really kicked in the sense like oh shit you know our our fates are all intertwined and and we need to look out for each other and work together in a way that's radically different from anything that any any of our parents or any of any of the books or any of the you know the politicians might tell us yeah yeah it's time for newness and so in that kind of interconnectedness between different cultures and 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 you know areas of the planet maybe share a little bit about the the pros and the cons of the global spread of ayahuasca and the way that like us westerners are interacting with native cultures um like I'd, I'd love to hear your view on both the like the, the good parts about it and also the controversial things and things that some people might be aware of and that others might, might not have heard about before sure, yeah Oof, i mean this is all i think about so it's almost hard to articulate it it's kind of well even at the root of it i've come to understand that shamanism is is about ambiguity right it's about uncertainty it's about lightness and darkness and it's about this realm and that realm it's always about this sort of liminal territory between the certain and the uncertain and the seen and the unseen um and that's very hard for us i mean speaking for myself but i think generally the people who i live with you know westerners people from industrialized societies it's very hard for us to understand that there is this that these two worlds can exist together um so you know at the root of it i would also say that the, the global spread of ayahuasca is also inherently ambiguous because shamanism itself is quite ambiguous right it's not just love and light um like we, we often sort of see articulated in the retreat centers and the and this and that but it's actually it takes some profound internal scuba diving and encountering unseen forces and these things that we're not sure how to handle um so, I mean, from a cultural perspective, 
you know, recently ayahuasca has been sort of heralded as this botanical panacea that's, you know, has unparalleled ability to heal treatment resistant depression, post traumatic stress disorder, um, eating disorders, a number of different sort of ailments that are you know, very, very popular um, in, in, in our society today. Um, and with that, you know, people are also saying, look at how beautiful it is that we have an opportunity to communicate and work together with indigenous communities, communities who have been traditionally uh, repressed, oppressed, um, and really learn and humble ourselves and, and, and learn from their botanical knowledge and experience. Um, and I would say as a, I wouldn't say as a con, but sort of as a different, a shadow aspect to that, you know, is that the, these days I live and work in the Peruvian Amazon. Um, and more than anything, I see um, uh, there's, a, there's a sustainability issue on the horizon. So I've spoken with quite a few people who have said, you know, that their vines, which are sort of yeah. ayahuasca is a combination of two plants, um, Diplopteris cabrirana or Cicotria viridis, it's a DMT containing plant, and then the Benisteriopsis capi, which is, a, which is a woody vine, it grows in these beautiful double helices and it takes anywhere from five to ten years to grow, usually about seven years. Um, so anyway, you see that with the sort of global demand for ayahuasca, more and more people are going out into the wild and hacking these vines down to the root. Um, and this is, this is an issue, you know, not necessarily long term because ultimately, you know, we could, people will, will grow ayahuasca in greenhouses if they need to. But the issue is really if our pursuit for enlightenment or spiritual sort of gnosis uh, comes at the expense of indigenous people's access to these plants, mm. plants that have been sort of central to their to their worldview and the way that they relate to the world. And this is this is no different from peyote, you know, a small spineless cactus that grows in northern Mexico and southern United States. Um, that cactus takes many many years to grow. Um, and I spoke with you know some Wixarica people, the people who made these earrings, um, and and they said that they're losing their their access to their ancestors. You know, with the depletion of these cactus, it's not just like an endangered plant. It's like this is the portal right. into our into our history. So, you know, it's it's a mixed thing. Um, but I think that ultimately ayahuasca offers is is an invitation for us to actually change the way that we um, commodify psychoactive plants. You know, because there's nothing new about the globalization of psychoactive plants. In fact, Western civilization has been shaped by our appetites for psychoactive plants, you know, from tobacco and coffee. I mean, imagine Manhattan without coffee for a week, you know, it's, it's like impossible. Um, cocaine, weaponized opium, you kind of get the picture, like these, these yeah. formerly sacred plants, um, you know, have been um, corrupted, maybe or, you know, have been used for more nefarious purposes. Um, and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen with, with ayahuasca and plant medicine. So how do we do that? And that's like the big question. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting question. Once we go down the rabbit hole of ayahuasca and um, yeah, other plants have shown that uh, traditionally the human society that we're currently in has, has done a really bad job at it. I mean, if you look at the coca plant, which is in itself kind of like a matcha latte uh, high, you know, you chew coca right. and you go into the mountain <laughs> and hike and it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's very soothing. 
But if you mix this with kerosene and make it a kind of a punch, it turns into cocaine. And it's one of the most destructive drugs on the planet, right? right. With a massive industry behind it um, on the black market, which is horrible to, to get lost in, in that this is the way we have been dealing with each other and the plants and the indigenous cultures. And I think that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show and to talk about um, it from, from the Western perspective, as I'm also a Westerner myself, and realizing that there is a massive responsibility in us to, to, to give our best to listen, um, to learn with. And the question that arises for me here is, is as Westerners, and I'm, I'm definitely from the West and, and you know, have lots of contact to some indigenous cultures, and I'm, I'm just kind of stunned and humbled by how poor we have dealt with, with the, kind of the transition in the past. But my question, or what I really am curious about is how can we listen to indigenous cultures and kind of integrate some of the wisdom, some of the knowledge that's actually um, feasible to integrate into our uh, modern world? Because I guess there are some elements of, of, of the sacred primitive way of living that, that we've gone too far into the other direction in the Western culture. But then there are, it seems to be that there are some other elements of this sacred primitive way of living that we, we require to break down this fake complexity we've, we've created. What do you mean when you say primitive out of curiosity? Um, primitive for me usually just means close to the earth. Um, like basic. It, yeah, basic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, for one, no two communities are the same right? Like this neighborhood is not the same as that neighborhood. And, and for me, that's, you know, that's, it's difficult to talk about indigenous rights and indigenous sort of cosmovisions, just because each one is so different and is so related to the, to the land that they work with specifically, right? Because in a way, I mean, the, our perception of time and space and our relationship to other beings is is deeply connected to our environments, and especially with indigenous communities, you know, who 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 have been, you know, in theory living in a in a particular ecosystem for a very very long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, in in my own you know limited experience, I would say that it's a lot of it is just about arriving and. I mean, with arriving with permission, obviously, I've, you know, you hear cases of people coming and squatting indigenous territories, which is not appropriate either. Um, like, you know, hippies just kind of hanging out in the middle of people's places and not giving back, but really, really understanding, you know, that you're invited into a certain place and, and getting and getting to know people's troubles, you know, getting to know their happiness and getting to know their troubles and, and understanding that, you know, we in positions of privilege who have access to policymakers, who have access to financial resources, um, you know, we, we, we can actually move things in a way yeah. That, you know they they may not necessarily be able to do um and and you know with that comes patience and failure and learning how to communicate in different tongues and different perceptions of time and scale i mean it's a very interesting and, and, and humbling experience for sure but yeah i would say like it's a combination of recognizing your privileges and where they can be leveraged in order to benefit others you know and and we do that again, understanding that our fates are all connected and we don't live in utopia unless everyone's on board, basically, yeah. 
Mm, beautiful. Let me change it up a little bit here. I want to know, um, I think, too, about you and, and your values um, b- beyond the journey of ayahuasca and the, the book and the work you've been, you've been doing and are doing in, in the regenerative space. That, and I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions just to get into a little bit of a different energy as your beautiful dog is with us. And um, it's either a yes, no, or maybe, or neither, how, however what comes out uh, fast and right away. Um, what do you prefer, dance or meditation? I don't necessarily see them as different. Okay, um, dance, actually. Dance, meditation? Yeah. Um, ocean or lake water? Lake water. Meat or veggies? Meat. Plant trees or fly to Mars? Plant trees and dogs. Plant. Dogs dogs or cats? <laughs> Such a hard choice. I love dogs. Aww. Not only because dog is spelled God backwards and we have like a God-like relationship to dogs. It's very funny. Yeah, definitely. That is very, very true. Um, water or kombucha? Water. Cannabis or alcohol? Cannabis. If you want something done right, do it yourself or better as a team? Oh, I'm still learning this one. As a team. Jungle or desert? Jungle. Sophia, what is required for you to experience trust? This is a deep one. (laughs) Um, Trust in myself. Which is some, which has been a, which has been a journey for myself, actually. I love people. I love trusting people, but I feel like as long as you don't have confidence in yourself, you know, to really do the thing, mm. to keep the promise, to take the action, um, the it, the trust isn't. It will never sink deep enough to really lock in and move you forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In your own words, if you were to describe or define the word purpose, what, what comes up? What's emerging? Purpose. Interesting. Hmm. I see a lot of people write like purpose on like white papers and resumes and stuff. Um, I mean, I guess I think of it like a North Star, you know, when you kind of, when you're, when you're almost like an intention, actually. So in with with plant medicine and in ayahuasca or just in life in general, if you're ever going into some choppy waters, it's nice to have that sort of an, an intention, which I guess could also be like like a purpose. You know, why have you come here? And whatever that answer is, um, kind of leads you leads you in that direction. Yeah, purpose. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. If you could single-handedly change the education system on the planet, what would you do? Wow, uh, single-hand, well, I would do it in a team. <laughs> First, I would get a team. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I again, for hmm, working with plants, yeah, it's something that I really wish I had and caring right? Like I, I was laughing the other day about um, an exercise that I had as a young teen or maybe even 12 years old. And we were, we were made to carry plastic babies around that would, that would 
cry every 30 minutes and you had to either shake them or like change their diaper. Yeah, I, I'm not joking. There was some sort of like a, it's a unique experience. <laughs> baby. Well, I didn't think it was unique. Apparently it was like a hot thing that was happening in the education system in New York at the time. So you carry around this baby, it's crying, whatever. And it, apparently the idea is that it's supposed to teach you um, care and, and responsibility. And it's also a sex ed thing. Like you don't want a kid because it's going to suck. But um you know, I would have loved actually, I would love it if we, if we all had to carry plants around for a couple of weeks and have kids really learn that it takes a sense of like intuitive nurturing and patience and compromise and listening to understand if the plant wants to be in the sun, if it wants to be watered and just observe these things. And it's not like out of a pure fetish of, for plants, which I, which I may have, but it's more just understanding that, that you know, working with the elements around us requires a certain degree of yielding receptivity that mm. is not taught in the education system today. Yielding receptivity, I like that a lot. Mm. So segueing from that question about the education system and like elements that we could add to it. Um, I was talking earlier about planetary purpose and holistic visions. And so my question is, if we were to actually integrate a seven generational point of view about earth and we have like a 200, 210 year vision, right? Seven generations for the future. Mm. Um, what would be your take on that? What, what, would, what's, what would be included in that earth vision for you? Or what can you see when you, when you kind of raise your head beyond our own lifetimes? So seven generations from today, it's a vision what would be an integral aspect of this sort of holistic vision and yeah hmm um initiation and rites of passage yeah and ritual um all of those together i think that that there's a value to the intentional sort of creation of space that doesn't exist in everyday space, if that makes sense. So opening up a ritual container, whether it's staying in a cave for a year or, you know, eating a psychoactive plant that, you know, puts you on the brink of death or whatever it is, we would create our own rituals that are appropriate for our own environments and our own needs. But some sort of, you know, ritual that would exist in our communities that would constantly ask us to pause and come together and really really you know consider what it is to be human and and our own humanity and our relationships and um and the things that that we care about you know and yeah definitely ritual would be an aspect of that yeah and initiation into what it means to be human what what the the point of this journey is I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds, it almost sounds vague. I wish I could describe it more, but kind of, I mean, for, for, I mean, I'm thinking of ayahuasca, you know, and I think that that's why so many people are actually flocking to this experience is because there is like a, it very often you find a sort of an ego death or a near death experience that comes with that. Um, and, you know, when you encounter that, the edge of yourself there, you're sort of, you have these, aspects of your life flash before you and you think you know what is what's important to me what's important for my community mm. you 
don't, you don't, you're not necessarily gazing super, super far into the future, into these abstract ambitions, but really understanding on a close level what it is to be in a community and what it is to be human. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and those don't necessarily have to be, you know, dangerous rituals or anything. They could even be moon lodges, you know, where women come together during their menstruation cycles and they just sit together and they just be menstruating humans together and just talk about that experience. But just having these spaces that sort of punctuate time, um, because I think as humans, as long as we continue on with the same sort of mechanical mindset to just solve problems and get stuff done we're not we're not really going to sink into that again yielding receptivity that i think mm. we need to we need to learn um in order to to adapt to our changing times and our changing ecosystems yeah thank you yeah mm. i have a last question for you and that is directed towards your younger self if there is one one lesson we, we can just do one lesson that you know now and that you're embodying now that, you know, you could have told your, I don't know, your 20 year old self, what would that be? Nobody else is going to do it. If that makes sense. That wasn't, that didn't come out quite right. But oh, like, I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's like, you're fucking it. Yeah. Like it's you. You know, yeah. it's always been your you. turn. It's always going to be you. And it's your turn. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, my whole youth, I just kind of, I'm still freaking young. I'm 26, you know, but yeah. I just living this life, like, oh, those guys will do it. Or like, maybe yeah. this is and I even noticed just chores around the house or whatever, just this total lack of agency in my environment. And, and it, in every day I grow more and more into that. Like, this is, this is it. This is now or never. And you got to step up and, 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 and make it happen. Beautiful. Sophia, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, thanks for, for bringing your dog into the show. Uh, no yes, worries at all. <laughs> what, is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to point at? What, what people could look up about you or go yes. buy the book when plans mean? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things right now. I mean, I, I, I don't know when we'll actually be, be sharing this with your community, but um, I, I highly you know, recommend um, looking at different organizations that are supporting um, regenerative programs in the Amazon, especially after after the fires. Um, recommending the BOA Foundation, Amazon Watch, Rainforest Action Network, uh, Chaikuni Institute. If you feel moved to give or sort of volunteer with any of these guys, I highly recommend um, working with them as a, as a first step into really making it happen. Um, and then, yeah, if you want to sort of follow me and what I'm up to, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I also have a website where you can get a vague notion of what I'm up to in this life. And um, stay tuned for Aini, my the nonprofit that's that's on the horizon. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sophia, for being Thank on for the show, me. Green Planet, Blue Planet. It serves you, that enriches your life. And if that's the case, make sure to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, follow the social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and simply be part of the conversation one step at a time. Wherever you are, have yourself a stellar day.